Something that would be funny, for example, that you could say here, would say that strength of schedule is important. That would be funny, based on the evidence that we've received in the past several hours. Feels like a funny, maybe funny later thing, maybe not so much a funny now. Is it a little too soon to joke about such things, you know, or double overtime touchdowns or anything like that? I wouldn't know what you're talking about with the latter. However, I do know a thing or two about strength of schedule, Pat. And this year, you know, strength of schedule, just one of several criteria this year, not the criteria. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman. You have a very forceful handshake, Mr. Coleman. And Greg Thomas. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. There have been 50 seasons of Division Three football. We've covered it for 25 years, and we've had a podcast since 2007. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, the only podcast directly from the folks at D3Football.com. We are here every week, all season, all postseason, because we live and breathe this stuff. I'm Patrick Coleman, the executive editor of D3Football.com. I'm Greg Thomas. I write Around the Nation at D3Football.com. And Pat, my bags are packed. The train has left the station. And we are officially on the road to Salem. The bracket is out. We know who we know who is on the road. And we know who's at home. And we know who's playing at home. And we know who's playing on the road here in Season 17, Episode 17, Episode 343. We're going to talk about all those things. Greg, this is our 16th Selection Sunday with a podcast. And man, I have been super disappointed a lot of the times. Sometimes I've been elated and... You know, I thought this year, Greg, we're going to go talk to the committee chair. We'll have a sit-down interview. We'll get all of this stuff out of the open early on. And then we'll get a bracket that might fall in line with the conversation, especially about strength of schedule. And then, no, of course not. That's not what happens when the bracket comes out on Sunday. What were we thinking? I don't know what we were thinking, Pat. That was two long weeks ago that we had that conversation with Matt Moore. I will say that for the most part, I really like this bracket. I have some notes. We're going to get to that in a little bit, but for the most part, pretty good. I think this is a challenging bracket to put together given the concentration of teams in the Eastern portion of the division. I know we, we struggled a little bit with that on Saturday night when we were doing our mock bracket, there's really not a lot of flexibility available. I think where we get lost a little on SOS pad is that we just, we don't know how much strength of schedule quantitatively overcomes a thing like an extra loss. This year, not any amount of strength of schedule can overcome a second loss, apparently. And, you know, as we discussed after our earlier conversation with Matt Moore, the the intentional blinders to the context of results versus ranked opponents sets the rankings and then subsequently the selections up to be unpredictable. Margins matter whether a team is ranked number one or number seven in a region matter. Removing those pieces of information from the already limited data set that the selection committee has to work with doesn't doesn't set them up for success at least it doesn't set them up to be able to explain well how teams were selected i did not get the impression that they explained it very well at least not the explanations that we have heard so far limited pieces of information sometimes even some of those were ignored and we'll talk more about that coming up in just a few moments but before we do 
Want to thank our sponsor for this edition of the podcast, and that is D3Photography.com. I want to lead specifically to one key thing, and then we'll also talk about some of the great games that they shot on Saturday. But this is the time of season where, in the past, the folks at D3Photo had also run a bracket challenge, and that is back. Go to D3Challenge.com and submit your bracket and compete against other Division Three fans to see who does the best job of picking, I don't know, is it chalk in this bracket? Are there the first round upsets that you might see? What are the games that the committee would consider upsets that the D3Football.com Top 25 does not consider upsets? You can make all of those picks at D3Challenge.com. Greg, also a bunch of great photo galleries. There's this little matter of a game between uh, DePaul and Wabash. There's your MIC between Flint Gustavus. The UMAC title game was a fun one. Minnesota Morris against Northwestern. Randolph-Macon and Hampton City, one of the great rivalries in Division Three football. And Pacific against Puget Sound. Maybe not the game that I would have picked from the Northwest, but geographic proximity matters sometimes. Yeah, I hope our listeners have had a chance to see some of the great work done by D3Photography.com on D3Football.com all throughout the weekend. We used a lot of their shots this weekend. You saw great images from teams winning championships, teams winning rivalry trophies, sometimes both at the same time. Friend of the pod, Larry Radloff, shared uh, with us, Pat, an email on Saturday afternoon, his incredible shot of DePaz Will Caster diving into the end zone for DePaz walk-off score in overtime at two. Larry, a little soon. I kid. I kid. That was a great shot of one of the most iconic moments and one of the most iconic games in an iconic series that and so many more photos from the Monon Bell Classic and so many other games in a tremendous week 11 if you're a fan an alum a parent or student athlete you're looking for high quality professional photos from these events something well worth preserving and framing like Will Caster's game-winning touchdown you can make that happen at d3photography.com yeah and podcast listeners can also use the coupon code d3football to get you 10 percent off of all orders still plenty of time to get an order in and get it shipped for most major western holidays thanks to d3photography.com for sponsoring the d3football.com around the nation podcast right greg you said this earlier too and i agree right i know deep in my heart of hearts that this is a good bracket but it's hard for me to get excited about this right now in the micro sense because I know in the macro sense, this is a big reversal of the trend that was started when the committee started to recognize that strength of schedule is important. You know, the last two seasons have been highlighted by mega matchups between a lot of the division's best teams in the first month of the season. Those games have undoubtedly made the regular season better. All of the Pool C teams that were selected are 9-1 and one teams. Left on the table are a pair of eight and two teams in St. John's and Hope that according to the NCAA's strength of schedule math, they went above and beyond with their out-of-conference schedules. They played teams with great win-loss records. They played teams that were regionally ranked. They accumulated an, a, an SOS over 100 points higher than yeah. two of the teams that were selected, Wheaton and Co. The step back that you mentioned, Pat, I think happens when an overwhelming strength of schedule advantage doesn't overcome a loss, particularly when the extra loss comes to a regionally ranked team. I hope this doesn't disincentivize teams from playing the games that have really enhanced the regular season over the last two years. Games like Aurora and Hope are good for us. Harden-Simmons and Endicott 
are good for us. Trinity and St. John's are good for us, but it has to be good for them too. And we should be encouraging more of those games rather than underlining the risk in playing those games and, and possibly losing. Obviously, if, if you're St. John's, the thing that wasn't said, well, you know what? We'll let the thing that isn't said get not said a little bit later because here is committee chair Matt Moore's take, which is not to talk about any specific example of the criteria, but just to say there are too few at large spots. Moore said this on In the Huddle. That's the D3 football show run by Frank Rossi and James Baker. I would say, you know, the short answer is yes, right? Because that's going to impact your your strength of schedule. And that's that's one of the metrics that's used. That's one of the primary criteria as we're looking at it. And, and certainly then the win-loss percentages as well. And I think when it comes down to that regional ranking coming out of it, it's um, what what is happening the rest of your region and what are those teams doing um, in order to be able to compete with them or what does that end up looking like with your record as well. So I think, I mean, you know, you've, you've got the teams like the St. John's who are going to go play anybody, right? And there's, there's a lot of great yeah. teams that are out there willing to go play people and looking to go play people because they want to compete with the best teams. Um, and I think they should be um, honored for that. But at the end of the day, when you have four, you only have the four at larges, that's what ends up handcuffing you. Not so much what those results were or what, um, or what the other things it's that access ratio, right. And how many oper and how many schools we actually have in this postseason tournament. And then here's Moore's take on how Co got in. He cited, he said out loud what they were able to do with their strength of schedule. Frank Rossi picked right up on that and asked the follow-up. So at least there's a follow-up. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think if you look at their body of work and kind of what, what they have for their numbers and what they did, a 9-1 team um, who have a loss to uh, a number one ranked team in Wartburg um, and, and what they were able to do with their strength of schedule and some of those things. Um, you know, they're, they, they compete and their numbers hold up and, and they end up getting in as an at-large bid. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to take it an extra step. And JB, uh, was wondering yep. the same thing. So I, I, you know, I, I, 503 and one and one is what we have. Basically, maybe you have different numbers yeah. that you're looking at and there's teams yep. like St. John's with the extra loss, but two and one, I believe, or maybe even three and one, depending on who the, is in the regional rankings in over 600, uh, strength of schedule Muhlenberg with the O and one, but the five, uh, 45, 550 ish, I think it was. Uh, in the strength of schedule, but, but you get my point where I'm going with this, that yeah. basically region five has enough ability to rank a third team in certain uh, conferences out there. And region two, for instance, doesn't have that ability because of the depth of uh, conference champions of merit that are in there. So it's almost like people are going to say you line up or region five lined up their conference in a way that manufactured a regional ranked opponent win for Co. And as a result, despite the mediocre uh, strength of schedule, they get in. What would your reaction be to the folks from St. John's and from, let's say, Muhlenberg even out there that are going to say this doesn't smell right or feel right to us? Yeah, I, I think uh, my, my number one deal was, you know, we're following the primary criteria, right? We're going to try and follow the primary criteria all the way through. We're going to put our regions aside when it comes down to finding those pool C bids. It's not about our region or somebody's region or anything. We're trying to, to develop the best tournament that we can. And I think the four at-large bids that 
all got in um, were pretty consistent with what their numbers are and what their um, history was in order to get in. Greg, we know there are not enough playoff spots or there are not enough at-large bids, right? We've known this for years. We knew that this was coming before the landmark announced that they were going to start football. We knew this was going to happen the moment that Division Three membership got together a year ago, January of 22, and decided that we were going to award automatic bids to 16 conferences. We knew that there was going to be a 28th automatic bid. I'm surprised that there weren't 29 this year, frankly. And Greg, we can't just hang on this excuse. We got to have an actual answer. Yeah, and I don't know if the answer is finding a different access ratio for automatic bids. They've settled on six, and it's probably they're probably not going to fix, or I don't want to say fix, but change that anytime soon. No, I think it's for football, it's fixed. For other sports, six makes sense. For football, it does not. Yeah, you know, there is scuttle. We've talked about it on the podcast about some playoff expansion that it is, it's being talked about. It's being explored very seriously. Expansion to 40 teams, which would increase access, you know, obviously for eight more at-large teams or at least eight more for now until we build some more six-team conferences. I'm stuck a little bit on on the co thing and and citing their strength of schedule as as a reason for inclusion. They do have a ranked win against Central. That's the common thing with all of the the nine and one teams that got in. They there are no nine and one teams that did not beat a ranked team, and I think that's important. But at the same time, Co's strength of schedule was five oh three. You know that's pretty middling when we're looking at strength of schedule well over 600 in in cases of hope and st john's so those are large differences and at the end of the day pat the committee picked three of the same teams that we did we differ only on co in st john's out and so um for the most part i think things lined up with how we thought they were but it is it, it is a little stark to see the St. John's resume with their, I think, second overall strength of schedule, um, not making it into the tournament. Yeah, I agree, right? Three out of four. I mean, we would like to do better. We'd like to do four out of four. Three out of four means we're generally in the ballpark, but it's precedent breaking or precedent setting, bad precedent setting to make this particular pick over the one that they could have made. And that's, I think, where the issue is. Not black and white, Ritter. Right and wrong. All right, Greg, it's time to pull out the Selection Sunday categories from the deck here for this particular edition of the podcast. We only trot these out once a year to keep them from becoming tiresome. Tiresome. And it's time for what the committee got right. Uh, Some years, Greg, this category is easy. This year, probably not. We'll say this, though. There are two 10-0 teams who did not get a home game for the first weekend of the playoffs, and the committee got one of them right. Um, Just one. DePaul, no wins against regionally ranked opponents, a strength of schedule well below 500, should have gotten sent on the road, and it did. (sighs) All right, that wasn't so hard, Greg. What do you think the committee got right? Are you sure? It sounded like you really had to, you're really pulling on that one a bit, Pat. I, I have most of my teeth. I pulled one of them out in order to get this. I think, uh, Pat, for me, I think the committee had a really big challenge with all of the Eastern area teams in the field. And I think they generally did a good job of putting them together in the bracket. There was potential for a lot of rematches here with Union, Springfield, Ithaca, Cortland, Susquehanna, Endicott, Johns Hopkins. All of these teams kind of mix in with one another throughout the regular season. 
And, you know, not only did the committee avoid regular season rematches here where they didn't necessarily have to, but they also managed to keep everybody who's already played this season away from each other for at least two rounds with just one exception. There's a potential Cortland Susquehanna rematch in round two, but everybody else who's already played is going to stay away from each other for at least two rounds. That's not an easy thing to have accomplished with this particular field. And I appreciate that it happened. They could have avoided it on the West coast too, but they did not. And I'm going to just, that's a segue into what the committee did not get right. What the committee got wrong. Oh yeah, this is going to be good. Uh, we've already talked about quite a bit of it. I've got something else to add into the list. Uh, tell me what you think about this. Why does Endicott get a home game against Cortland and not the other way around? This seems to be one of the things that we get now that we have six regions to rank teams in instead of four. Because if Cortland and Endicott were still in the same regional rankings, you would see that Cortland, 9-1, 6-26 SOS, again, one of the elite numbers, would be ranked ahead of Endicott, 9-1 with a 5-73 SOS. And, you know, if those 53 points of strength of schedule weren't enough, let me tell you what I'm going to do, Greg. I'm going to throw in a common opponent comparison. That's right. Cortland beat Ithaca. Endicott lost to Ithaca. That should have been a separator in and of itself. If we are already taking the least creative and least useful slant on the criteria that you can possibly take, why are we blatantly ignoring one of them? Common opponent is right here staring you in the face on this, and it's just ignored. Maybe the home game for the goals is a, a curse in disguise. They've awakened the dragons. The dragons are coming, and they're, they're, they'll be upset that they didn't get to play a home game. Pat, I will pick a bone with the committee's treatment of North Central in this bracket. North Central's location makes it difficult for them to avoid the, the power of the upper Midwest region for very long, and that's fine. But importing the Texas winner to Naperville in round two is, is a bit extra. Um, that didn't have to happen. North Central's path to a repeat is brutal. They're real brutal. It's a real brutal place. They open with Bellhaven and they will be heavily favored there. But after that, Pat North central's path to a repeat may well include number six, Trinity number four, Wisconsin lacrosse, either of number three, Wartburg or number five, whitewater. And then quite possibly number two, Mount union in Salem manufactured disrespect is one of my least favorite things in sports right now, Pat here, here, but if the Cardinals want to be salty about their draw, I think, I think that's earned. I would not argue with you there either, Greg. I mean, shoot, it doesn't even look like North Central is a top seed in its own bracket. That in and of itself is mind boggling. And yes, I will sign on to North Central getting disrespected again and again. How many titles do the Cardinals have to win before the committee treats them like a defending champ? At least three. At least three. Three. Are they a dynasty yet? Let's let's that's a different podcast. That's a different podcast. That's a that sounds like a Keith McMillan column. We'll uh we'll 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 send that to him at some point. All right, Greg, what's the most intriguing thing in this bracket you think people might have missed? Most of the time people miss Mount Union's challenge to the Stag Bowl, but and I'm sure that the the requisite grumbling about Mount Union's draws taking place in the comments as we speak, but I do find 210 comments and counting. There are definitely some of those so far. Indeed, I do find Mount Union's draw intriguing in the bracket. I think if you see Mount Union get upset, it's going to have to come from a team that can score a bunch of points. Yeah. And their quadrant has three teams that might have offenses that can push the Purple Raiders. I said might, Mount Union fans. <laughs> we know that Alma plays at 100 miles an hour and they score a ton of points. 
Cortland and Susquehanna, they also both have outstanding offenses that if they can find any kind of traction against Mount Union could make that quadrant interesting. That's not a pick. You'll see my game picks throughout quick hits as we move through the tournament. But I don't see this as a total cakewalk for Mount Union to the semifinals. They're going to have to be sharp to get there. Yeah, I also find that intriguing. So my plan uh, for week one is to drive 300 miles on Friday night and Saturday morning from the Division Three Basketball Great Lakes Challenge taking place at Wittenberg up to the Alma-DePaw game. And it'll be interesting to see how the winner of that game compares with Mount Union the next week. You just mentioned also, Greg, three teams that have really mobile quarterbacks. Alma in Carter St. John, Cortland in Zach Boys, Susquehanna in Josh Ehrlich. If nothing else, you know, even if they hadn't seen that sort of thing over the course of the regular season, they will get accustomed to it most likely over the course of this bracket. What intrigues you about the bracket? Greg, I think one of the intriguing things is how the Aurora story kind of flips you had in the past. For example, last year, the way the bracket was set up, you had Aurora going to Whitewater in the first round. Aurora is the upstart. Whitewater is the, you know, established power. Uh, this time around, Aurora gets a home game. Well-deserved. They get Co coming to their place. And I think that's very interesting as well. That's a, a really good first round matchup that uh, if I had other plans for the week, I might be interested in going to see in person. But uh, I already mentioned my plans and I'm really enamored of them. They're going to be great. By the way, that uh, stout defense for DePauw on Saturday is going to have to be without Brevin Good, who started for the Tigers on Saturday against Wabash, but finished the game on the sidelines on crutches. You could find photos of this injury taking place. There are three frames of it. Boom, boom, boom in the D3 photo uh, photo gallery. You could probably make your amateur diagnosis, but I do not expect to see him in uniform against Alma on Saturday or any time in the next multiple numbers of months. Big loss for DePaul if they have their All-American linebacker out against the high-powered Alma Scott's offense. What stands out to you as the best first-round game? Well, I think it's always easy to point to the Texas game as the best first-round game, but that's typically, you know, typically a good call, right? So the one that features the two Texas teams, that's Trinity and Harden-Simmons. Number six, Trinity, against number 15, Harden-Simmons in the first round. This is a game that, again, from a rankings perspective, should be a second-round game, but geography and NCAA money requires that it be this way. So the committee didn't even do any of those crossover national quarterfinals this year, unlike in years past. So we stuck this game into a bracket that already features the number one and the number four teams in the country. Bracket of death. What's your best first-round game? I'll take Cortland at Endicott as my best first-round game. This is a huge opportunity for Endicott at home, whether we agree or not, to notch their first playoff win, set a new high watermark for their program. After that big win against Harden-Simmons, which is probably my top highlight of this year's non-conference season, we said the next step for Endicott was to start advancing in the NCAA tournament. This is a tough draw for Endicott. Cortland's playing really well in big games down the stretch with Brockport and Ithaca to close their season. Cortland, they're going to play a team this week with a tremendous defense. The Red Dragons, they finished last season with consecutive losses in the Cortica Jug game and then their first-round game at Randolph-Macon. They've avenged one of those losses. Now they've got their sights set on reversing that first-round result from last year. Classic strength versus strength matchup here. 
Looking forward to a really good contest in Beverly. Game ball. Game ball. Game balls. Game balls. Game balls. It's time for game balls. And my game ball is going to Cortland quarterback Zach Boys. Oh, reversing the trend. Let's talk about that. Boys had a pretty terrible Cortica Jug game in 2022, but he's had a great 2023 season. And that included on Saturday when he made first downs happen with his arms and his legs and kept the pressure off of his running back, Jaden Alfano St. John. Boys threw for 289 yards and two touchdowns, and he ran for 125 yards in the win against Ithaca. This is a game in which the Red Dragons throttled the clock. They held the ball for 40 minutes and 16 seconds in this win. All right, so Greg, I know he threw two interceptions. One of those picks was by Derek Sluka, and you know that guy picks everyone. Uh, I'm not uh, going to hold that one against him. The other was on an end of half Hail Mary. So for me, game ball, Zach boys, no contest. Pat, my game ball is going to go to Whitworth quarterback Austin Ewing with the Pirates trailing 24 to 14 to start the fourth quarter. Ewing shook off three early interceptions to lead Whitworth to a 14 point fourth quarter and the Northwest Conference Championship in the fourth quarter. Ewing was 17 of 21 with 141 yards and one touchdown that coming with just 29 seconds left in the game. Ewing was 10 of 12 on the game winning 75 yard drive converted two third downs and a fourth down on that drive. Ewing finished the game going 37 to 52, 338 yards, two passing touchdowns. He also had one more rushing touchdown and for his clutch performance in a winner take all game, Austin Ewing gets my game ball. Here's what that game-winning touchdown sounded like off the Linfield University broadcast. Whitworth is first and goal. From the five, Ewing, right side, throws, Leggett, he caught! caught. He caught that. Touchdown, Pirates! Wow, what a great play by Whitworth. Evan Leggett, the senior from Kirkland, Washington, Able to bring it in from Austin Ewing. Three interceptions today, but he might be the hero now after putting the Pirates in front 27-24 and bone on for the PAT. This Linfield crowd stunned in Memorial Stadium. All right, Greg, before we leave game balls and before we leave Cortica, how about that game specifically, right? Cortica-Jug game, another great fought battle, and this is the first one on Ithaca's campus in quite a while, actually. Yeah, Cortica Jug returns to South Hill for the first time in 2017, and Cortland got off to a great start, scored on their first drive, moving right down the field, doing what they do offensively. Zach Boys with the game ball, obviously. So it looked, you know, to me early on, like Cortland's offense was going to be overwhelming. We're not quite, you know, Ithaca's still working out some things with their offense and Colin Shum. Yeah. On in just his, I think, third or fourth start of the season. You give a lot of credit to Ithaca here for being able to find some plays, get some points on the board, stay within shouting distance of Cortland. Um, in the fourth quarter, though, you've got uh, Ithaca back within one score. They just couldn't quite get rid of the Bombers, the Dragons, in this one. Uh, but Zach Boys with a big 46-yard scramble and run that set up a, a field goal toward the end. They gave Cortland a 10-point lead late in the game and uh, enough to win the Cortica jug back from Ithaca. I'm a real wild one. We'll still go region by region, but we're just going to go 
one item per region at the time. And I'm going to talk about what's fun in the one. And certainly one of the things that was fun in region one on Saturday was seeing rivalry game on display on ESPN plus with the U S merchant Marine Academy and the U S coast guard Academy squaring off on veterans day. And it was a game in which merchant Marine won the secretary's cup for the fifth consecutive year. Remember they played a game in 2020. So we don't just call this the fifth consecutive season. It's actually correct to say the fifth consecutive year. Kudos to Joseph Franco. Two big interceptions, both of them in the second half for the Mariners. First of one led to a touchdown. Second one secured the victory in the final minute. But, you know, Greg, this is a game that is played in just a picturesque location. Coast Guard hosts it on campus this year, and it was in New London, Connecticut. The stadium just looks right over the water right onto the harbor. It's a lot of fun to see that. And then, of course, to see the midshipmen and the cadets, it's just a very picturesque location, picturesque afternoon in general, and a lot of fun to watch. I had that on the big screen while watching some of the other things on Saturday afternoon. You know, just just your usual Monon Bell, Cortica Jug, Secretary's Cup, three across the monitors there. Yeah, it's always fun to see the academies playing for pride with against people that they will later be in service with. And like you said, Secretary's Cup game is always uh, one of the best scenes in Division Three with the cadets and the midshipmen all all around the field. And those those locations are always great. Thanks to these young people for their service and their future service. Greg, who's who in the two? The only real playoff-related drama in the two this weekend was happening on Friday night in the NJAC, where a five-way tie was possible and looking maybe even likely until Christopher Newport's Gunner White put the captains ahead of TCNJ for good with a 10-yard run with 1 minute and 14 seconds to play. TCNJ did drive to the captain's 27-yard line, but Noah Martin picked off a jump ball thrown by TCNJ's Trevor Bopp at the 5-yard line to preserve the Christopher Newport win and secure their first NJAC title and a place in the playoffs. A lot of fun for the NJAC to go through all of those playoff scenarios this week. And then Christopher Newport makes it the obvious one by just winning. All right, Greg, who's running free in the three? Ah, uh, see, they're waiting for us to alternate, Pat. But at this time of year, you got to break tendencies. Bellhaven was running free at the Bellhaven Bowl in their 46-19 triumph over Brevard on Saturday. The Blazers rushed for 311 yards in a dominant win that secures Bellhaven's first USA South Conference championship and their first trip to the NCAA Division III playoffs. More history for Bellhaven in this one, Pat. Bellhaven's nine wins are a program high, and their 5-0 record at home is the first time that the Blazers have achieved that in their program history. Colby Blunt led the way for Bellhaven with 149 yards rushing and two touchdowns. Quarterback Tim Johnson added 88 more rush yards on Bellhaven's history-making Saturday afternoon. Congratulations to the Blazers. Enjoy that trip to Naperville. Right. It seems that the committee is... Uh, super interested in sending teams only to major transportation hubs. So as much as I want Bellhaven to go all the way to Whitworth, instead, in the past, we had Barry coming up to Minneapolis-St. Paul to play St. Thomas. We had Bellhaven coming out of that part of the country to Chicago to play North Central. 
I don't think they are booking 60 plus tickets to fly commercial. I am pretty sure this is a charter flight that could have flown anywhere, but sure. Let's send them to Chicago. Pat, what is the score in the four? Sons, what the four by fours for? I love the score in the four. Madison Barch scores in the four. Maddie Barch, she's a kicker for Kalamazoo, a senior, becomes what appears to be the first woman to score non-kicking points in a college football game. She was left wide open when a routine extra point turned into a fire drill, and the holder, Josh Nichols, rolls right, then throws back left a pass that she caught for a two-point conversion. It's been fun this season to see so many more women involved in Division Three football teams, and that includes Maddie Barch of Kalamazoo getting to score two points in the four. She also went three for three on extra points. And if you missed that clip on X, you can, and if you missed that clip, you can find it on X. It's been tweeted out a couple of times. Before we leave the four, it's got to talk a little bit more about this Monon Bell game. And I'm sorry, Greg, but as a reminder, here is how it ended. Fake the handoff. McCahill out in the flat. Catch made. Touchdown. Ball game. DePaul will win. And amazingly, it's Will Caster. He was the player that the snap hit him to set up the fumble. He catches the game winner. DePaul has a 10-win season for the first time in school history. They are going to the Division Three playoffs for a third consecutive season. The Monon Bell game is endless in the amount of stories it has told over the years. And Will Caster, in a matter of what, 20 minutes redemption from a fumble cause to the game-winning touchdown. DePaul fans rushed the field. 10-0, 10 wins for the first time in school history, like you mentioned, Greg. Conference champions going to the playoffs, and oh yeah, maybe even most important all that, keeping the Monon Bell in Greencastle. Storybook finish for DePaul, which frankly, Greg, looked finished in the first overtime. They fumbled the ball on their possession in overtime, but they come back, get the block of Wabash's would-be game-winning field goal attempt, and then Wabash successful on the kick in the second overtime, but... DePaul leaves no doubt, as it were, and comes up with a touchdown. Now they do this. The 129th edition of the Monon Bell Classic goes down as one of the best all time. The first overtime in Monon Bell history. So the, also the first double overtime in Monon Bell history. I was going to say the first and second overtime in Monon Bell history. Great game here where you had the teams going back and forth. You had lead changes. You got a dramatic extra point block by Wabash to preserve a, a tie game there in the fourth quarter. Right. Um, you get a you get a fumble in so in the first overtime, DePaul fumbles on their possession where when Will Karsten runs into a snap from his H back position, yeah. causes the ball to get away from Nathan McCahill. Wabash jumps on it, sets up Wabash's field goal attempt in overtime which gets blocked. So you've got two really important kick blocks in this game. And then in the second overtime, Will Carson is able to uh, get loose on a little, little slip pass over the, over the line of scrimmage, just in the middle of the field where DePaul really had a lot of success working all day through the middle of the field and just nothing but Frank Navarro AstroTurf field between Carson and the end zone. And DePaul gets 33 to 30 win in the 129th Monon Bell game. Great game. It's one of the best in the series. Pat, who's looking alive in the five? My number five. Ah! 
Lakeland certainly looked alive in the five in week 11. Greg, as the Muskies scored three touchdowns in the final 643 of the game, two of them in the final minute 25 to rally and defeat Eureka 35-34. So, Greg, this isn't a game with playoff implications on the line, and there's no rivalry trophy between these two teams. We could maybe make one up. That would be a fun thing that we should do in a podcast sometime. Uh, this is just two Division three schools playing out the string, though, leaving it all out in the field. Eureka went up 34-14 just a few seconds into the fourth quarter, and Lakeland was definitely in four-down territory from here on out. In fact, the Muskies failed on fourth down just short of midfield and turned it over on their next drive. Lakeland got it back on an interception at the goal line. They returned it out to the 33, and Robbie Michael ended up with a 15-yard touchdown pass to cut the lead to 34-21 with 6.43 left. The Muskies fail on an onside kick, but they force a three and out, so they get it back at their own 35, and Robbie Michael uses legs this time to get them in the end zone with a buck 25 to play. Another onside kick fails, but Lakeland uses all three of its timeouts, and they get the ball back with a minute three left on their own 41 after Eureka decided to run on fourth and one instead of punt. Robbie Michael hits on three big plays, and he gets his team in the end zone on a Caleb Bassaw touchdown catch, plus the extra point, made it 35-34 with 23 seconds left. That's your ball game. Looking alive in the five was Lakeland and a great way for them to go into the offseason. Six feet, six, six feet, six feet, six, six feet. Greg, who's racking up six in the six? Well, Chapman racked up six picks in the six as they won their first ever Skyac championship game 41 to 20 over Pomona Pitzer. The Panthers pounced on the Sagehens early. They opened up a 24 to zero lead at halftime. Pomona Pitzer came back with 23rd quarter points, but they just could not overcome six interceptions, including three in the end zone in their bid to repeat as Skyac champions. Roman Harden had a great day for the Panthers. Not quite the full McMillan. Harden had three interceptions on the day for Chapman. <laughs> the Skyac title underlines a tremendous turnaround for Chapman, who started this season with a no contest, lightning canceled game up at Pacific. And then they dropped their first three countable games of the year before rallying to win the last six. Rack up six interceptions to rack up their sixth consecutive win and get back to the NCAA playoffs. We're going to stick in the six with Fast Five. See you all met. See you all met. See you all met. Fast Five, yeah, we still have a Fast Five on this podcast along with everything else. We're joined by Rod Sandberg, the head coach at Whitworth. His team victorious in the game that everybody who was still watching was left watching. The last automatic bid was handed out to his team on a Saturday. First off, coach, congratulations. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Hey, that's a pretty impressive game, a pretty impressive fourth quarter for your team. Take us through that just a little bit. Yeah, an extremely tough place to play. Um, so much tradition uh, there. So really proud of our guys. Uh, the moment was not too big for them. They really believed uh, in each other and pretty, pretty cool to see them come through under pressure. Absolutely right. You guys scored two touchdowns in the fourth quarter and the last of them with under a minute to play. You guys get the ball back and, you know, you had already one long drive under your belt going into that final drive in the fourth quarter. Does that give you guys and especially your offense some confidence, I assume? Absolutely. Um, yeah, we went for it on fourth and one near the 10 yard line. And, uh, you know, that's a tough decision. Just kick the field goal. We know we got to score twice. And uh, that fourth and one broke for a touchdown, gave a ton of momentum. Now we're just a field goal and uh, a little bit of momentum. All right. 
I have to ask, I want to get this out of the way so we can talk about other stuff. At the end of the game, you talked about the moment not being too big for your guys, but maybe after the game, it seemed like it might have been a little too big. Um, just try to talk to us about that. Yeah, really unfortunate. Um, uh, I think it was both sides. Um, I do know that our guys were pointing to rings and winning a championship. Uh, And, you know, not appropriate in that moment. You know, you got to act like you've been there. You got to be great losers. You got to be great winners and show some class. So, again, I don't know all that happened and that transpired or who started it, but we're responsible for ourselves. And, uh, man, the game will honor you if you honor it. And that's what we talked about after the game. All right, Coach, you guys had to feel like coming into that game based on where you guys were in the regional rankings. And I know you know this stuff. You've been on this committee, right? That it was win or go home, right? First round of the playoffs were today. And, uh, you know, but at the same time, you know, playoffs are great, but uh, we were playing for a Northwest Conference championship. We were playing for an undefeated season. That's pretty special in and of itself. And I think uh, our guys were pretty focused on the moment at hand. Yeah, and and tell us a little bit about that, right? This is, you know, having the conference title on the line is a big enough moment, but then you're also in a situation where you've got two undefeated teams battling. It is week 11. It is head-to-head, basically as big as a regular season game can get in the Northwest Conference, right? In any conference anywhere. Uh, I was told prior to the game, I did not know this, that that's the first time in Northwest Conference history that two teams have been playing for the championship on undefeated teams. So uh, pretty awesome. You can't script it any better. Uh, And obviously our team, you know, if that game's earlier in the season, uh, I don't know. We we were a team that continued to get better every week, uh, and uh, this was the right time for us uh, to play our best. What was the kind of development that you saw? What were you guys doing better in week 11 than you were in, like, week four or five? Uh, yeah, uh, executed at a higher level. Uh, I think our confidence grew. Um, you know, we had a makeshift offensive line to start the season. We have a transfer quarterback. We just have a lot of things that we're trying to put together. And I think the biggest thing was confidence and trust in each other. Um, and when you have that special things can happen. All right. So obviously we are recording this interview before the bracket is revealed. By the time people hear this, they will know whether you're going somewhere or whether someone is coming to you or whatever it is. But I know that as I'm kind of looking through and penciling in scenarios, you guys have to get in a plane or someone has to get in a plane to come to you. And it could be almost anyone from all over the place. I, I don't follow any of that. Uh, fortunately, my wife does. And we, we just spent a little time after the game. And uh, it sounds like it's pretty uh, unpredictable. Uh, here, here's the thing about the team that I have. Uh, anybody, anywhere, anytime. We're just thankful. We have hearts of gratitude. We love playing this game. Uh, we're really appreciative. We get another week to play it together. Uh, and the greatest game ever invented, we get to play it one more week. I got about 30 seconds left with you. Who do you want to shout out before we go? Uh, I want to shout out uh, Whitworth University Administration, uh, the staff that they believe in us. They give us the resources to be successful. Thankful for them. Privileged to work at Whitworth. All right, Coach, you took Fast Five super seriously. You gave me crisp, super short answers. I was not prepared for that. That is on me. Well done. Hey, thank you so much. Appreciate you, Pat, and all you do for football. And Pat, I'm glad that you asked Coach Sandberg about the elimination nature of their game on Saturday because – even with one loss and knowing the quality of teams involved, 
the writing was on the wall that the Northwest Conference runner-up was not going to play in the playoffs. The emphasis and importance of winning a conference championship is critical because winning that conference championship is the thing that unlocks any goals that a team might have beyond week 11. Four teams got a second chance Sunday, but a lot of really good teams did not. It can be easy to overthink how to qualify for the tournament, overproduce your schedule, but no matter how much you try to curate a schedule that's going to be attractive to Pool C, there's luck involved. Teams have down years like we've seen at UMHB this year. Several teams played UMHB. None of those teams are getting the kind of selection and seeding benefits that they would have liked or expected from those games. Whitworth's ability to get around Division Three is limited given their isolated location from the rest of the division. But the Pirates played who they could play this year. They went all in on winning the Northwest Conference, and they did it. Ron Sandberg and the Pirates are back in the tournament as conference champions. Your categories have become tiresome. You've got mail. Tiresome. We almost didn't even have to put out the call on Sunday. It seems like people were asking questions all day. And I know when I talked about the number of comments on our bracket release story at the beginning of this podcast. I mentioned that there were 210 at that time. We have been recording this podcast, Greg, for a little over 45 minutes, and we are now at 229 comments. We're not drawing from that, though. We are drawing from questions sent at us on X. And this one is from Noah at Stuart Gator 10, who asks, how many of the 32 teams actually have a chance? If this were FBS, I'd say maybe five teams could actually win. Is it the same gap here? Number of teams who could possibly win the national championship. Greg, I mean, in the past, sometimes it's been two. Sometimes, frankly, in some of those Mount Union epic run years, it's really just been one team who could win the national championship. What's your thoughts on how many teams could win the title this year? It's going to be less than 32, Pat, more than two. I'll be really interested to see Logan Hansen's breakdown of the probability of winning the tournament. I think he's had North central as almost a majority favorite to do that throughout the course of the season. I am going to guess that North central's chances to win this tournament have dipped significantly given the teams that they are going to have to go through. Yeah. Um, They may still be a favorite, but Holy cow, that is uh, quite the, quite the grinder they're going to have to go through over the next month to get there. Who can win the tournament? I think Wisconsin lacrosse in the tournament, they appear to be the the top overall seed. And certainly as champions of the WIAC, you know, you always have to keep them in the mix as somebody who can win it all. North Central, obviously, they haven't lost since the last time they won a championship. They haven't lost since two stag bowls ago. Yeah. So a favorite as well. I'm going to skip by Trinity and Harden-Simmons. I think as difficult as North Central's ride through the tournament is, Trinity and Harden-Simmons have one more round on top of that that is uh, crazy hard. So maybe one too many for those teams to advance. Wartburg, you know, I think they've got a good chance. They were semifinalists last year and played a really good game in Alliance in the semifinals. Uh, Experienced team back for the Knights, and I think uh, with that semifinal experience, that can only help them this year. Wisconsin Whitewater down on the bottom part of that bracket. They're a team that has played really well. They've played a really difficult schedule and performed very well against that. Their only loss, of course, coming on 
a uh what was that a 51 yard walk off yep. field goal to Wisconsin lacrosse so Wisconsin Whitewater certainly battle tested and has the chops to do it and then on the other side Mount Union is going to be a heavy favorite to go through uh to Salem that is not a preferential treatment thing it's just Mount Union is really good and there are a lot of also really good teams on that side of the bracket but maybe none who are quite in the Mount Union tier although we did say there are there are some challenges in Mount Union's region that uh, they'll have to they'll got some questions that they'll have to answer yeah I think there's a line between as I look at this top right bracket like there are teams that can challenge Mount Union, but then would I extrapolate that out to say that they could also challenge North Central and win the national championship? I'm not quite sure about that, but you know, could Cortland do so? Maybe in terms of challenging Mount Union, could Susquehanna do so? Yeah, maybe. Could Alma? Yeah, maybe. I I just don't know that you extrapolate that all the way to could they win the national title? In the bottom right, we put Johns Hopkins on that list, or is this on the challenge? Mount Union list and maybe not win the title list. Could be on the challenge Mount Union list. It'd be interesting to see how these teams progress over the next. You're looking at teams that might play Mount Union in the semifinals. They've got three weeks of games to grow and progress. And certainly teams can improve, get better, more confident, can really crystallize what they're great at against other really good teams throughout the tournament. So, you know, Randolph-Macon is a team that once we see them play two or three games against better competition, we might have a better idea if they are a team that, you know, legitimately belongs in our top 10 and can play a competitive game in a, in a quarterfinal or a semifinal round. If I look at uh, the bracket from my perspective, I'm going to name most of the t- same teams you just did, right? I, I just jotted down lacrosse, North Central, Wartburg, Whitewater on the left-hand side. Mount Union on the right-hand side, and maybe Johns Hopkins. So it's it's five if you don't include Johns Hopkins. It's six if you do. So the answer is pretty similar, I guess, it turns out. So thanks for the question, Noah. We're going to take one more here. There were 14 responses to our post on X, and not all of them were questions. Some of them were rhetorical questions that have no answer. Here's one from... Alan Estep, who is at coach underscore E74, asking a question that we don't normally take, but I thought I'd address it for a second. Thoughts on eliminating automatic bids for teams who play less than 10 games would open up a few more spots to attempt to get the best 32 in. We never try to get the best 32 in. That is never the goal in any NCAA tournament bracket, any sport, and would provide more available games for teams to schedule out of conference games to better judge strength of schedule. I don't know that that second half of it Actually, I'm not sure that's the way to go. Listen, if you want to try to limit automatic bids, I understand that. Do know that the Division Three philosophy is that the opposite of that, basically, that every conference who qualifies gets an automatic bid. Now, we've already talked in the course of this podcast about, you know, the fact that maybe six teams as a qualifier for an automatic bid is not enough in football. And maybe there should be some separate rules for football. The NCAA membership doesn't really like separate rules for football at the Division Three level, but we can always try. Here's where I would try to claw back some bids, if at all possible. So the standard is six teams. The ECFC this year does not have six teams. They have five. And in the past and currently, there has been a grace period for conferences 
that lose members and fall below the automatic qualification standard for a year or so. There's a two-year grace period. I would propose eliminating that. I don't know that it's necessary to have that. The ECFC is not going to reorganize and get its membership back up to six. We know this because of the five teams that are remaining, four of them have already found new homes uh, and will all be in place by 2025. Uh, Castleton, even next year in 2024, will be going to the MASCAC. I don't know that ECFC 2024 really should have an automatic bid. And I don't think that ECFC in 2023 has to have an automatic bid, if I'm being honest. We've already made this qualification more lenient. I don't know that we need to make it more lenient on top of that. And then, of course, we would be stripping away automatic qualification from the American Southwest Conference fairly soon under those uh, guidelines as well as some of those schools go to other divisions. Some of those schools go to the SCAC, which wouldn't get an automatic bid right away anyway. Short story long, as former co-host Keith McMillan used to like to say, there are a couple ways to claw a couple of those bids back. And while the folks are working on trying to expand this thing to 40 teams, an extra week of playoffs has a whole other can of worms involved in that. Maybe we could claw back an extra at-large bid for next year by doing some of those things. That's kind of my take on that. I am fiercely going to defend the division three philosophy of an automatic bid for a qualifying conference, but you got to keep that qualification. Maybe when we would just make that a little addendum to those rules. Yeah. I think I agree with, with everything you just said there, Pat. Um, seems like, you know, I think it's difficult to have conferences that are, that are dissolving, uh, hang on to automatic bids when fall below the threshold, especially when that threshold has already been lowered. Um, you know, maybe we could have accommodated uh, one or two more teams had we done away with that two-year grace period. Maybe even a one, maybe a one-year grace period is okay, but the access to the tournament for runners-up is very slim. And you know, there's definitely a lot of a lot of uh, disappointed teams and fans out there today. It's fairly well known that the year that North Central won its first national championship, they were the last Pool C team in, and that was the fifth Pool C team. This year, I don't know that there's a national champ sitting out there that did not qualify. You know, these are all teams that had their chances, basically. St. John's had their chances and lost twice. I don't think as much as we think St. John's belongs in the field by virtue of their criteria, they didn't play super consistently over the course of the year. They are not a threat to win the national championship. But we are getting to the point where in football, if you're leaving some of these teams out, you are leaving out potentially a threat to actually win the national championship. And that threatens the integrity of the entire championship. Yeah. And I think that the 2019 year where North central, the last team in goes on to win the national championship. That was kind of the wake up call because if a vote goes, a vote goes a different way and North central doesn't, get in then you know we may not we may not have any any of this thanks for that question coach e74 kway waverly asks what top teams should feel best about their draw what top teams should feel worst i think it's pretty obvious that mountain union should feel best about their draw it's typically pretty easy for them to feel good about their draw we've talked about north central feeling the worst frankly if they're not even 
a quote unquote top team, I assume you mean top team in terms of like top quality team rather than top seed, then that's definitely your answer right there. Coach L underscore O-line asks, will the committee ever put a second contender on the Mount Union side of the bracket again? It happened just last year with Wartburg. I wished for some crossover at the quarterfinals and we did not get it this year, but it's not like it's that long ago. Also, just to remember, they sent Mount Union on the road last year. That actually happened. Yeah, I believe Mount Union in 2019 defeated in the second round by a team in on their half of the bracket. Good point. That's a sec that's a contender. I think North Central was a contender in 2019. North Central again in 2021 uh on their half of the bracket. So, you know, it does Mount Union does not get the free pass that everybody thinks that they get. While we are recording this podcast, Greg, I am getting texts from a former national committee member who is talking about left side versus right side of the bracket. I mean, here's another thing you could have done. You could have just swapped bottom right and bottom left and had a completely different bracket and a little bit more competitiveness balanced across this field. Agreed. That's definitely, you can definitely swap entire entire quadrants to make that feel a little bit better. I think what you get by having the right side of the bracket, what it is, I think there is a super good likelihood that whoever wins the lower right quadrant can drive to Mount Union. I think what you get is you get an entire half of a bracket that can drive to Mount Union. That isn't necessary. If we can't have a flight in the damn semifinals, then what are we doing? All right, I have one more set of texts. I know you have heard this one, but I will uh, share it with the audience as well. From Friday afternoon, it says, Pat, been meaning to text you the other week, but got sidetracked. I listened to your interview with the football committee chair. That's Podcast 340, by the way. The famous Podcast 340 is going to be one of those that goes down in history. You will always remember Podcast 340, just like you remember Podcast 229. Anyway. His comment about every regionally ranked win carries the same weight is so wrong. There's a huge difference of a win over a regionally ranked number one team compared to a number seven regionally ranked team. We have applied that in the past for uh, this sport that this person served on the National Committee for. And we are doing that now for other sport that this person serves on the National Committee for. And that is what our NCAA liaison agrees with as well. I don't know. We don't know, Greg, if football is completely an outlier on this, but they are not in step with those other sports that this person has been on the committee for in very recent memory. Indeed. And we, we talked about it in 340. We've talked about it in this podcast. It is really, really handcuffing to the committee to put the blinders on and lose context in those results. Margins matter where you're ranked matters. The number one team in region six is not the same as the number seven team in region six or region four or region three, a win against the region six. Number one is not the same as a win against a region four, number six or number seven. Those are just not the same thing and they shouldn't be treated the same way. And you, you wind up with some questionable things because you're just not looking at available data. This is why we're going to end up having pairwise shoved down our throats in division three, right? Pairwise is not a solution to these problems, but it's getting proposed as one. I certainly, I certainly hope not. 
I know I don't know that we've done a, a deep dive on on pairwise. Maybe uh, maybe that's a an off season Logan Hansen special. Yeah. Uh, to come in and do the math for us on pairwise, but um, you need more data than football gives you for pairwise to make sense. But um, who knows? Maybe we'll do it anyway. All right, we know this podcast is running long, but this is the time of season where people want answers to questions. We took a little extra time to answer questions and took a little extra time to rant because people also want to rant. We're not going to do a new on the spot this week, but we will do a spot check. And last week, I asked Greg to pick the Friday night spotlight games, the four games being played by New Jersey Athletic Conference teams. New Jersey Athletic Conference, formerly the New Jack, now more NJAC again. Three of those games on Saturday could have had a direct impact on the NJAC title chase, and the fourth game had an impact on the Pool C conversation, or at least could have. Greg picked Muhlenberg over Montclair State, and he picked Rowan, Salisbury, and CNU, not attempting to manifest the five-way NJAC chaos. And of course, in reality, Christopher Newport did beat TCNJ and made the rest of those tiebreakers irrelevant, and everybody else Greg picked won as well. Greg ran the table on Friday Night Spotlight in On the Spot. I did run the table, but I lost the five-way tie, Pat. So mixed feelings, mixed feelings for sure. But hey, we'll we'll try and get that five-way tie next year. It could happen. The ODAC used to be good at those sorts of things too before Randolph-Macon got all Randolph-Macon-y. Last weekend on the spot, I asked Pat who was going to be the last team in, and Pat said Union. I don't know that we know the answer to that question just now. However, I just hit refresh on the regional rankings, and those did not come in. So we don't know. I am guessing no, though. I am guessing no. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that the last team in is probably either Wheaton or Co. Based on who was ranked lower in Region Five, probably Co. I can't imagine them monkeying with the Region Five regional rankings that much. Looking at last week in quick hits, top twenty-five team most likely to be upset. This was actually somewhat rife. With possibilities on Saturday, Linfield was picked by two people. That was me and Logan. Greg was correct in picking UW River Falls. Uh, Riley with a miss on Alma. Uh, Ryan Tips with a miss on Delaware Valley. And Frank with a big miss on none. This was not the week it turned out to pick none. See, in the highest ranked team to miss the tournament, I believe, thanks to some random flip-flop between St. John's and John Carroll. St. John's winds up being the highest ranked team to miss the tournament. I picked John Carroll, uh, which should have been right and isn't. Pat picked <laughs> UW River Falls. <laughs> I would have picked River Falls also, except that I had earlier picked River Falls to lose. And so I, w- I didn't want to hedge my, my quick hits by not following through on the next one. Pat picked River Falls, Ryan picked River Falls, Frank River Falls, Logan River Falls, Riley River Falls. Everybody picked River Falls except for me, but I was also wrong. So nobody wins there. If it had been based off the week 10 poll, it would have been Linfield. Linfield was number eight coming into the final week and then lost and then fell and then did not get in the field. All right. We asked the panel how many regions will be represented by Pool C. I believe everybody picked three regions, although I think we were all expecting two region six one region five and one region two. I mean, I didn't put a uh, disclaimer behind it. Hope I need to get the whole point and nothing but the point. Pat, not going for the bonus points by being extra granular. That probably pays off for Pat probably gets uh, a little extra 
on the field. And then we did cup stack. We wanted to order the rivalry cups that were being played on Saturday and order Secretary's Cup, Keystone Cup, Mercer County Cup. It was the Secretary's Cup that was the closest. That was a 12-point margin between Merchant Marine and Coast Guard. Then you're followed by the Keystone Cup, which is Delaware Valley and Widener. DelVal won that one by 17. And then your Mercer County Cup is your rivalry between Grove City and Teal in Mercer County in western Pennsylvania. And Grove City won that one 31 to nothing. So the order from highest margin to lowest is Mercer County Cup. Keystone Cup, Secretary's Cup, Pat, that is your order. Frank did not have that right order. Logan did, and Riley. Pat, Logan, Riley, those are your three cup stack winners. All right, keep an eye on quick hits throughout the rest of the postseason. We do not go away. We do not give up on this when we get to playoff time. In fact, we up the ante. Greg, what do we have for our readers this week when we get to quick hits on Friday? No hits. Only scores. This is where if you if you're mad that we waffle and don't always pick <laughs> games and winners in quick hits, uh, just wait for the next five weeks. We are going all in. We are picking winners. We are picking scores. And really, the way to consume that is to uh, see, you know, we're going to pull the panel and we'll be able to figure out from the panel which games we expect to be close, which games are toss ups which games might be high scoring or low scoring. Uh, you'll get to get that insight from our panel of experts by the scores and winners that we pick. And you can look for those all throughout the tournament. Yep. It starts on Friday morning. So yeah, games might be a toss up because you might have four people pick one and two people pick the other winner or five and one. You'll probably have a lot of games in the first round that are six straight across the board. And then you're looking at, like Greg said, margin of victory. Do you expect it to be a blowout? Is it a high-scoring blowout? Is it a low-scoring game? All sorts of things that you can get. Don't get yourselves too all bunched up about what your team is picked to do. If we think that Team A is going to beat Team B six straight across the board, but they're all close games, just know that there's a distinct possibility we think your team could win that game as well. Also coming up in Around the Nation this week, it will be Surprises, Disappointments. That is a great column going into the NCAA playoffs, and that involves, again, some of the uh, same people uh, that we uh, already include in quick hits. This is just talking about the bracket writ large, not just the first week of games, and that's been a lot of fun. We've been doing that in Around the Nation since... We've been doing that for a long time is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, this is an idea that came from the Around the Nation originator, Keith McMillan, one of his very favorite uh, pieces of the season. And so we're happy to keep that tradition coming. Also this week, we'll have features on teams bound for the playoffs. Our road to Salem features start up this week. In addition, nomination for our all region teams starts this week. Uh, if you are a sports information director, you will be getting an email from us Wednesday morning with information about this. You've already seen some of it when we sent out our preseason basketball email about a week ago. If you're not getting our emails, let us know. Whitelist us in your email. That would be helpful as well. You want to get this information. You don't want it to get filtered out by your campus IT department. That is a thing that happens. Those nominations start on Wednesday. 
and they run for 13 days. Do not wait for the last minute. I beg you. I beg you. I beg you. And also keep an eye out for coaching changes, retirements, resignations, firings, etc. These are things that happen this time of year. We know have talked about Bethel coach Steve Johnson retiring. His tenure at Bethel gets extended for at least one more game as his team goes to the playoffs. John Welty of Westminster, Missouri. He also retired this past week. There will be more of these such things, I'm sure, and you can uh, find out about them from us. Playoff capsules. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Greg, I need you to write like seven playoff capsules. Playoff capsules, Pat. Games to watch. How about all of them? There's 16. 16. Watch them all. Yeah, watch them all. Maybe even watch some of those bowl games. Uh, we won't spend as much time on them, but they're a lot of fun for the participants. UW Platteville and Augustana, everybody's pick for Isthmus Bowl 3. That is your matchup. And this was Around the Nation podcast number 343, released on November 13th, 2023. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for continuing coverage all postseason. We're very thankful for the support of our monthly Patreon subscribers. A couple new ones this week. Thank you. And you can join them or learn more about it by visiting patreon.com slash d3 sports if financial support of us is not something that you can do you can still help out the podcast by telling a friend telling a classmate tell a fellow alumnus about the show give us a five-star review on apple podcast that's a thing you can reach us to talk more about division three football on x using the d3fb hashtag i post from at d3 football greg is at wally wabash we have a message board devoted to division three sports did you know join the conversation by registering a post at d3boards.com you can also follow d3football.com on facebook the executive producer of the around the nation podcast is patrick coleman it's written by patrick coleman and greg thomas production assistance provided by dave McHugh and Damara o'malley additional audio from frank rossi and james baker our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos, and we use more of his tracks. You can find them at djmentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks to Rod Sandberg, head coach at Whitworth, for joining us for Fast Five. Keith McMillan, he was the OG host, the originator of Around the Nation, as Greg mentioned, here on d3football.com. Greg, very thankful for you as co-host of this show and columnist writer, columnist writer, column writer, columnist, guy who writes columns. Punches in a lot of scores. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. And yes, a fresh, fresh matchup for the third Isthmus Bowl. Platteville and Augustana fresh, just like the ingredients used for all of your delicious items at Culver's. In the Cousin Subs Lakefront Bowl, new matchup there as well. St. Norbert going to play Monmouth in those two bowl games happening in the Midwest. And I don't have information in front of me about the ECAC Bowls, but uh, good luck to all of those players and teams with an opportunity to play one more time. Also, uh, some tidying up in the NESCAC. They're gonna, some games were postponed a couple of weeks ago. They're going to finish their seasons in this week. Pat, is that, a, is that the NESCAC dipping their toe into the, into the week 12 waters? Is this, a, is this a thing that breaks precedent here? <laughs> I would love to think that that's an idea. Hopefully that is true. We'd love to see them in the playoffs. Once there is room for you and not before. ECAC bowl bids won't be known until Monday. The New England Bowl games, those came out on a Sunday as well. So you got Salve Regina hosting Anna Maria on a Saturday in a New England Bowl, and you got Western New England hosting UMass Dartmouth. The MASCAC got that three-way tiebreaker with that convoluted strength of schedule thing. So Western Connecticut gets the NCAA playoff bid. UMass Dartmouth gets the bowl bid. And 
Bridgewater State gets a bunch of complaining on X. I feel like they got that tiebreak right, though. I know there's some hand-wringing about what data sheets they were using and when. I refuse to wring my hands about such things. The math... It was my understanding that there would be no math. But Western, Western Connecticut, the, their strength of schedule was beyond the margin of error there, right? You saw on the selection show, they were listed as 6-2. and two. They're still listed at 6-2 and two on the data sheet as of about an hour and a half ago. So, who knows? But our math has all nine games, and we agree that they got that right. How do you not know the record of all your teams in your division if you're making these decisions? By the time you get to this, maybe you should just take this out.